Each episode of Keys for SLPs has an accompanying audio course on speechtherapypd.com, registered for 0.1 ASHA CEUs. A special coupon code is available for listeners of this podcast. Type the word KEYS for $20 off an audio course subscription. This audio course subscription gives access to all existing and new audio courses from speechtherapypd.com. With more than 200 hours of audio courses on demand and new courses released weekly, it is only $59 per year with the code KEYS. Visit go speechtherapypd.com slash keys for more information and start earning ASHA CEUs today. Hello, welcome to Keys for SLPs, a weekly audio course and podcast from speechtherapypd.com, exploring keys for speech language pathologists to better serve clients throughout the lifespan. I'm your host, Mary Beth Hines, SLP and certified orofacial myologist experienced in rehab outpatient, school, and private practice settings. As a curious SLP who embraces lifelong learning, I'm excited to discuss information to help you excel as a professional. Keys for SLPs brings you experts in the field of speech-language pathology, as well as collaborative professionals and caregivers to discuss practical therapy strategies, research, challenges, triumphs, and career opportunities. Engage with a range of practitioners from young innovators to pioneers in the field of speech-language pathology as we discuss a wide variety of topics to help the inspired clinician thrive. Welcome to Keys for SLPs. I'm your host, Mary Beth Hines. Before we get started, here are the financial and non-financial disclosures. Mary Beth Hines is the host of the podcast, Keys for SLPs, and receives compensation from SpeechTherapyPD.com. She is a member of ASHA Special Interest Groups 2 and 13 and the International Association of Oral Facial Myology. Genevieve Richardson works for Everything SLP and is the owner of Vive Creative Website Solutions for SLPs. She receives compensation for this episode from SpeechTherapyPD.com. Genevieve is a member of the American Speech-Language Hearing Association. As a reminder, for this live episode, to get live CEUs, you must log into your SpeechTherapyPD.com account. And now for a little bit about Genevieve. Genevieve Richardson, MS, CCC, SLP, is a medical speech-language pathologist with 26 years of rehabilitation experience working exclusively with adults in a variety of settings. After running her private practice in California for 10-plus years and moving across the country twice, she began her telepractice journey nearly seven years ago. Genevieve is the lead therapist at Everything SLP, providing aphasia and apraxia-specific treatment to motivated adult clients. She specializes in telepractice platforms and provides consultation and classes to SLPs about telepractice. Welcome, Genevieve. Hello. Good evening. We are so happy to have you here for this episode of Keys for SLPs to talk about keys to telepractice. Before we dive in, we have a special dedication. We would like to dedicate this episode to Bill Connors, a pioneer in speech-language pathology practice. As a visionary in telepractice, Bill significantly contributed to our field, and we are honored to pay tribute to him today. So can you tell us a little bit about Bill? The story goes back about 10 years. 
before now, I was living in California and I attended one of his weekend conferences. And it was on neuroplasticity for aphasia and apraxia treatment. And all I can tell you looking back at that conference is it changed my practice for the better. He had a very unique approach to aphasia and apraxia treatment. And I think part of it might have been due to his linguistics background. Bill was amazing. He was he was so generous with his time. After the conference, I talked to him and he always offered if you had a tricky client, you know, he'd be happy to get online with you and talk to you and and coach you through it. The following year, I had the pleasure of seeing him present yet again and it was at the California State Convention and I took one of the okay. 3 hour mini courses, whatever they were called. It was really nice to hear what I had listened to for 16 hours the year before, kind of condensed down to three hours, but it still blew my mind. He was just so inspiring. And in that course, particularly at the state convention, he was showing us his previous platform and how he would meet with people over the computer. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. Didn't really think much about it. As the years continued, Bill and I stayed in touch, and he helped me with a couple of challenging clients I had. Then I moved cross-country with my family, and Bill and I stayed in touch. And not long after that move, he hired me on. The company was called Aphasia Toolbox at that time, and I've been with them ever since. Bill passed suddenly last year. The Aphasia Toolbox became everything SLP. In everything SLP, he and I worked to train a lot of speech pathologists and telepractice and provided consultations. His daughter did a lot of business coaching to help therapists get their business up and running. And this is all pre-pandemic. We were doing all of this. So then the pandemic comes along and it was rather timely. Exactly. And I remember you saying, I don't know if you said it or he said it, that he was doing telepractice before telepractice was cool. That's absolutely the truth. He started doing telepractice in 2005. We did not even have a special interest division at ASHA until much after that time. You almost didn't see any research articles about it. So tell us like when telepractice first started, what were the platforms people were using? What was Bill using? Bill started with, I don't even think it's around anymore, but it's called Uvu, O-O-V-O-O, something like that. And it basically was two talking heads, much like you get with, I don't know if Google Meets has evolved in the last six months, but when I last looked at it, it was just two talking heads, no whiteboard, you really didn't have interactivity. So he he and his clients would use the chat box to chat back and forth, you know, if they could type or he would always, he always made the expectation that his clients would type again, even back in 2005. I mean, that was before iPhones and the iPads and all this stuff. He still felt that telecommunication, being able to type and express yourself in that form was very important. So he went from Uvu to WebEx, which was a corporate platform at the time, and that took up a lot of bandwidth. So it kind of limited some of the clients he was able to see because internet was still relatively not where it is today. When I joined him in 2014, we were on WebEx, and the beauty of WebEx at the time was using the whiteboard. We could type, we could 
draw. We could, you know, it's called annotation for those who are not in the uh, telepractice arena yet. And it was great because then our we would share our whiteboards with the clients after the session and they'd have content of everything we'd worked on. They could go back and practice if we had philosophical tenets or whatever we needed them to remember. We wrote it on the whiteboard. They had it. They could practice it. We went to another platform called Blink, which is a great platform. It's got a lot of nice built-in features. And currently we're using Zoom because we like the ability to share all of our devices. We love the whiteboard and it integrates really nicely into our EMR platform. One thing I really thought was great is that you use your whiteboard to actually incorporate into your notes and it's all HIPAA compliant. Yeah, that was really an important feature for us. Because we've always worked with adult clients, we use the whiteboard a lot. When the pandemic hit and everybody was getting into telepractice, we realized with the pediatric population, the whiteboard's not so important, but it always has Mm -hmm. been for us. And it was just another tool to help reinforce what we were working on in the session. Well, that's so great. And how did he, back in 2005, do you know, how did he decide to go into telepractice? He really wanted to be able, he was in the medical field. He was working at the hospital in Pittsburgh and he just really wanted to treat clients in his own way. And there was just really a need for it. We specialize in treating folks that, you know, I dare say chronic aphasia. Some of them are years post-stroke or traumatic brain injury. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Which is so exciting and so important. It's a nice group of folks to be working with because Mm -hmm. if they found us, they're motivated. Absolutely. So as we said, this is our first episode where we actually have dedicated it to someone and we just thought it was fitting to dedicate it to him because he really is a legend in our field. And I do believe when there are textbooks written about telepractice, or maybe they're not actually books, but that he will go down as being one of the forefathers of telepractice in our field. So it's great to be able to dedicate this to him. I did have the opportunity to speak with him last summer and was just so impressed with him. And he was running to do his Facebook group, which he also had the foresight to do that because not everyone was doing that in 2005. I don't know when that Facebook group started, but it was one of the first SLP Facebook groups from what I understand. Yes. So we have the Telepractice for SLPs Facebook group. We're approaching 25,000 speech pathologists and speech pathology assistants. And, you know, it's exciting to see the collaboration and the real community that has come about, you know, when so many of us, well, not myself, I've been doing this for seven years out of my own house, but everybody else that's used to being out in the community or in a clinic or in a hospital, and then suddenly you're all by yourself. And that, right. Yeah, that's that's a whole different ball game. I came from home health before I started doing telepractice and I was used to the team approach and starting telepractice gets a little lonely. You feel like you're all on an island all by yourself, just you and your client. So that Facebook group really helped provide community and and just a sounding board and sharing of ideas and resources is It's pretty neat. That is great. Okay. So in your nearly seven years as a telepractice practitioner, how has telepractice changed? And then, you know, specifically it has changed with the pandemic. It sure has. The most meaningful way we're 
telepractice is acknowledged now by insurance companies and Medicare (laughs) and, you know, so hopefully, you know, things keep moving forward as far as telepractice being an approved service delivery. Mm -hmm. We have great support from ASHA now. Yes, we've had the special interest group on ASHA, but it's even more active now. More people have joined it. We have the great community on the Facebook page and so many other Facebook groups, you know, the green screen this and the specialty things for telepractice for different age groups or different conditions that are being treated. It's it's mm-hmm. really awesome. And a lot of companies have really come out of the woodwork, started, advanced, however you want to put it. But now we have a lot of choices for telepractice platforms. So whatever your need is, there's probably at least one, if not two platforms out there that you can use. So that's pretty cool. And I would say the biggest improvement, like with the pandemic and telepractice, we can reach more people now, more clients, more all ages have Mm -hmm. access to quality therapy that they may not have had before because they had to drive to get somewhere. Right. And how to get someone to drive them or yeah, so many different factors or, you know, just the difficulty of getting out of the house sometimes when they are no longer qualified for home health. It's great to have. Yeah. Yeah. There's that homebound status thing with, with home care and then getting the outpatient and then getting the scheduling right and getting your nap. And now we can meet people in their own home, you know, and us therapists have flexibility. Sometimes Mm -hmm. I work on the weekend. Well, most every Saturday morning I work. Bill works seven days a week. (laughs) I don't know if we want to recommend that, but (laughs) it worked for him. It did. Okay. So for the most part, it's changed for the better, but there are a couple of things that maybe are are not so helpful. And for those of you who are looking at I've been trying to go without them, but... (laughs) Our eyes and the computer are a little bit challenged with all this, but you have some great suggestions. So I would love it if you could share. Well, first, can you share how telepractice has been hard besides our eyes, but you know, on the body as well. And then we'll talk about some solutions. So I think most of us are sitting a whole lot more, especially if we're scheduled back to back. It's just hard on the body, hard sitting in a chair. If you don't have one of those fancy ergonomic chairs, I've got a fancy like designer chair, but I won't say, (laughs) you know, it's ergonomic by, by any stretch. Yeah, I need glasses now. I mean, I never wore glasses before, but and you can kind of see they've got these little blue reflective lens on them. And I can tell you what a difference having those blue computer where it's blocking the blue light from Mm -hmm. the computer. I'm on the computer, not only just working, seeing clients, but I'm just on the computer way too many hours in a day. And this has really reduced my eye strain. So it's a lot harder on the body, you know, in the resources document, I've got a link to some blue blockers. Do your research. Don't just pick the cheapos. Do some stretches. Make sure you get up and take care of yourself and stay hydrated. The other challenge doing telepractice and sitting all day, you need to make sure your computer is up to date and you have your materials organized. Nothing worse. Like you wouldn't do it in a clinic like, oh, let me go to the closet and go rifle around and find that that treatment I was going to do with you. Same thing on the computer. It's just a different level of organization. I think we all kind of take our computers for granted. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one thing when the pandemic started and I have 
five kids. So several, several of them said, Hey, I, can we get these blue light glasses? We're going to be stuck home. We're going to be on the computer all the time. Well, I wear glasses. So I didn't even think, Oh yeah, I should be getting those blue light glasses too. So even if you have glasses, you can get them, you know, special glasses with blue light lenses and your regular lenses. So thank you for pointing that out. And then when you said exercises, I know you were thinking of actual, you know, getting up and stretching a little bit, but you also mentioned some eye exercises. Definitely. Lots of different choices on the internet, but you got to make sure we're, we're looking at this short distance all the time. You got to be able, I've got a window over here. You can't see it. I do try to look out the window for 30 seconds. You'd think it wouldn't make a difference, but it does. It, it makes you use your eye muscles different. So again, in the resources area, or you can just Google, you know, eye exercises for computer strain. Just take a minute in between clients or every couple of clients. Get up, do some stretches, do some knee bends, get the blood flowing, prop your feet up. I mean, there's lots of ergonomic (laughs) stuff that all the OTs that we've ever known have. Thank you for those reminders. Sometimes, you know, we're busy taking care of everyone else and we forget to take care of ourselves. So thank you for that. It's easy to get caught up in, well, for myself in telepractice. And I do like the way that you said that you try to give yourself a little bit of time. Let's talk about that with, well, most of your clients are private pay, but you know, with insurance, you definitely have to have and private pay, but it's more important, you know, when you're submitting to insurance to definitely have those minutes. Exactly. So if it's a 45 minute session, you have 45 minutes and you use your clock, which is very key on that's another great thing that you pointed out on zoom that there's a clock actually on zoom. Like I'm looking at it now and I'm like, we haven't been on for 45 minutes. <laughs> so <laughs> then you're running, yeah, right, 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 because, because we, we haven't been talking. Yeah, but yeah. yes, I use that clock because I'm on a big iMac. And if I look mm. over there, you know, my clients that have an iMac, they know I'm looking at the clock and I'm counting down the time. It's just like when I was in grad school and the kid would be across from me and he'd be looking up at the clock right. going, are we done yet? <laughs> but then you don't schedule back to back. I try which- not to. I, I, I don't care for it. I like to finish. I like to finish with my client. I do most sessions, I incorporate my note writing into the end of the session where I'm talking through what did we work on today? How do you think you did? What should we do tomorrow? Do you remember what I'd like you to carry over for tomorrow? Mm-hmm. You know, those kinds of things. We always talk about the home program and what they're what they're working on, how they're progressing, if they need any assistance. So I'll take the last two, three minutes of a session and just wrap it up with the client. And then as soon as I log off with them, I finish my note, I lock it, I'm done. Mm-hmm. Save my whiteboard. See, uh, with our particular platform that we're using, I can save my whiteboards into the note. So the next day I open the note, I can look right at my whiteboard and go, oh yeah, those are the words that we worked on, or those are the sentences we did, or whatever the case may be. It's right there and it's very efficient. And then you give yourself five minutes to do those eye exercises. Get some water, yell at the kids. No, Uh, or the pets. (laughs) (laughs) Yell at the kids in summer. (laughs) Otherwise, I, (laughs) I have to keep the pets out of my office. I tend to have a lot of pets. Normally, I my I have a blind cat who likes to sit on the back oh, of my that's chair. Funny. <laughs> I kicked her out tonight. 
<laughs> all right. Well, those are a good little hints. And you are so helpful in giving all those Zoom hints. So if we have time, we'll talk a little bit more about that later. So before the pandemic, telepractice was, was not approved as a service through insurance or Medicare. Interestingly, many states did not even have the language in their regulations for the provision of telepractice. So where do we stand now? So interesting. And I could say my answer would change literally from week to week. So before the pandemic, Bill and the office staff, they were keeping track of all 50 states and kind of where we stood because we were teaching telepractice all the time. And that would always be one of the big questions. Well, mm-hmm. if I sitting in North Carolina and I see somebody in Virginia, do I have to have a license in both places? And so it always led to lively discussions. Well, right. fast forward to the pandemic and it took many states many months before they came up with how are they going to deal with telepractice now that Medicare says they're going to pay for it and insurance is following along in their footsteps like oh no, we have no language about telepractice. And some states actually put into play an emergency statute, so to speak. Some states, West Virginia, Kentucky, for example, said that if you're licensed in another state, you can fill out this waiver. And during the public health emergency, you're going to be able to, via telepractice only, treat clients in our state. Well, now... I mean, I thought the public health emergency was going away. Right. We'll see. We'll see what happens. We'll see. Uh, so, you know, we're still in this kind of gray area. Yet again, everything's still covered. But I think the legislatures or the speech, language, pathology, audiology boards are still trying to figure out where it, where it's going to land. Okay. Have any states throughout the pandemic, have any states changed their coverage or are all states maintaining their coverage as they did at the beginning of the pandemic? I would say most everybody now has language about telepractice and what their rules are. Many states have allowed these emergency waivers to practice in their state. Florida is another one you could get an emergency waiver. They have small hoops that you got to jump through to achieve those waivers. But it's not the extent that it is to get a license, a full-blown license in the state. It's nice that they're allowing that telepractice. And again, it's allowing more people to get service that couldn't do it. You know, again, we're in our practice, we're dealing with many elderly folks that don't want to be exposed. They're trying to stay away from. They're trying, even if they are vaccinated. Absolutely. Um, So telepractice is a great but let me be more specific in my in my question. I'm sorry about that. Have any states it's so who have covered telepractice at the beginning of the pandemic have any said, okay, now we're not covering, or have they all maintained that coverage? I believe they've all maintained it. I do okay. not, you know, I follow the states that I have my licenses in. Which I know I have which ten is- licenses plus Asha. I'm I'm rooting for that comp. Well, we'll get to it, but yes, we'll get to that. <laughs> I'm yes, rooting for that yes. interstate compact. <laughs> so Asha has advocated for an interstate compact that authorizes in-person telepractice across state lines. And so, can you share about that? And is it all states right now, or is it just a group of states? So right now, it's a group of states. 10 states 
I can't name them all, I can name a handful of them, have signed on to this compact. And ASHA has a, a group of people actively working on developing this compact, working with the state, each of these states' audiology and speech language pathology boards. So I was actually on the phone with a board member from West Virginia last week. Okay. That's where I got my newest license. And, right. <laughs> and she was just, she was great. Just lots of information. She's excited about the compact, but said, you know, they're starting from scratch. You know, all these states have to agree to what are the standards going to be? How is the fee structure going to work? Mm-hmm. Those kinds mm-hmm. of things. For us speech pathologists, it would be so nice. It'd be so nice for me. You guys should see my spreadsheet that I use for tracking my continuing education. I don't know anyone who has as many licenses as you. And so I I didn't really think about how complicated it can be. So tell us a little bit about that spreadsheet and everything that you have to do to have all those licenses. So each state has their own requirements. I'm going to use West Virginia as like my favorite one right now because (laughs) I was able to print out my license verification from all my other states, for example. Previous, another state that I will not name, said I had to get an official letter from every state that I'm licensed in has to come from that state's board directly to the state I'm applying to. Fine. But with every one of those verification letters, you're paying money, $25, $30. You know, that adds up very quickly. In addition, there's just a lot of financial consequence. And the time, which has financial consequences. That's the hardest part was the time. You know, you'd think my fingerprints from the FBI would be acceptable for all the states, but not necessarily the case. Each state had their own way that they wanted to do their background check. And then there's fees associated with that or someone's digital finger. I get it. They all, they're trying to protect the clients in their state. And I, and I understand that and respect it. However, from a clinician, when you're busy working full time, it's a lot of extra time and energy. And, you know, sometimes you think, ooh, is it worth it all? But mm-hmm. ultimately, I've always gotten a license wherever I needed to get the license so that I could service those clients. And so just to clarify, whether a client is paying through insurance, through Medicare or private pay, you need to have a license or that special emergency. That's exactly what I would say. Even Prior to the pandemic, when state states did not even have verbiage about telepractice, we still got licenses in that state. So mm-hmm. we have the license where we sit and the license where the patient sits. If they were to go on vacation and I don't have a license there, then I'll, I'll see you, Mrs. Jones, when you get back. I'm not going to go chase them for two weeks because you're not going to get any license in two weeks or even mm-hmm. four weeks. And sometimes vacations from therapy are are positive. So most of the time, yeah. Reconnect and all that good stuff. But Bill always said in every telepractice course, get a license, follow the law. You know, it's still in our code of ethics that we have to be providing the best service possible. And that's also serving our our customers that are in our state boards. Mm -hmm. It's not Mm -hmm. just the clients that we're serving. It's everybody we're serving. Right. So back to the spreadsheet, I'll just tell you, yes. <laughs> ASHA being three years, 30 hours, 
each state license. Some of them, California is your birth month, whatever year you first got licensed. So it's every two years. Some states are December 31st of the even year. Some are December 31st of the odd years. So you kind of have to play the the game. As I, I think of it, when you're going to take a course, if I take this course on this date, how many licenses is that going to count for? Right. You know, I do a lot of continuing education, so I don't have to watch it super close. Mm-hmm. I'm probably still doing at least 30 hours in a year. And, you know, right. some states it's 20 hours in two years. So I just, right. I'm always continuing education, but my spreadsheet is quite extensive and very color coded. It sounds like that would be helpful to anyone who is considering multiple licenses in multiple states. You know, once you get past three, you got to get it organized in some way. We've developed a list of misconceptions that we've heard people say about telepractice or teletherapy, and we would like you to dispel or discuss those misconceptions. Okay. So misconception number one, quality of telepractice service does not compare to in-person service. I would totally disagree with that statement with the caveat that the therapist has to prepare. Again, pandemic hits, everybody's scrambling. You maybe don't have digital materials and you're dealing with the three-year-old. I get it. But now Mm -hmm. that everything has settled, it is our responsibility to make sure we are delivering quality service, whether that's managing our tech, having our materials ready, knowing how to help our clients troubleshoot on the other end. I think it's another learning opportunity for our clients, especially for many of my adult clients that are not tech savvy. They don't get out of the expectation of participating. Right. And you've been able to incorporate that into your therapy. I do. I actually write goals for it, you know, early on. And, you know, and we, if we have to take baby steps to get them there, working with their, their significant other or whoever's in the house with them, we have never failed to get one of our clients annotating, drawing on the board, participating, being able to pull up their documents, their whiteboards for review later. Never failed. Wow, that's great. I think telepractice can, it serves a need for our clients and we can still deliver quality services. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think one of the secrets to your success with therapy has been ensuring that those clients are motivated. Can you talk a little bit more about that? I I don't want to digress too much because I want to stay on our misconceptions, but that really seems to be a a key to your success. So I, I do think that's part of it. Again, that's the niche we service. You know, most of our folks have already gone through the rehabilitation experience. They've done the home health. They've done the outpatient And they've now settled into their life, you know, whatever their new normal is. I hate to Mm -hmm. say that because I always want people to accomplish whatever they set their mind to. But these folks have found us, whether it's by referral or another speech pathologist recommended them, or they saw something Bill had done on Facebook or YouTube or, you know, one of those places, these folks find us. And because... Prior to the pandemic, we were all private pay, little different. So these are not folks that are being pushed. I won't push that are progressing through the system, right? We have a rehabilitation system. When right. I started 26 years ago, 
in a freestanding acute rehab, we'd keep people for six, eight, ten weeks. By the time I left there, four years into my career, they were out in two, three weeks. Right. right. You know, there, but there's a time frame. And so we really work with these folks that they've been through the process. They've settled into whatever their routine is and they want more. They're not willing to settle for a plateau. Right. Right. So they come to you very motivated for teletherapy. They do. And, yeah. and it's a, it's a fun place to be as a speech pathologist to work with these folks because they all want to be there. And another key, and you mentioned it a little bit because you have expectations for them, but you, after that initial consultation where you decide, is this, is this the right format for you? You really set expectations for what they are expected to do during therapy. Absolutely. And in between therapy. It's a partnership. I never, you know, I'm not the magician. I'm not therapizing you. We are a partnership. I'm guiding I'm setting you up for success. We expect people to practice. I want you to practice what we did in therapy, at least bare minimum review the words or sentence, whatever it is we worked on. Mm -hmm. I want you to do your home program. I want you to keep moving forward. You know, we do a lot of caregiver training. You know, we really pull the spouses in. Recently, we started doing a caregiver support group for, for some of our, our spouses that just needed some extra support. You know, oh, as great. they're at this new phase, like, oh my gosh, what do I do now? Right. right. <laughs> Is this how, how it's going to be? <laughs> how many people do you have in the support group? It's just real small right now. We're at five of our, mm-hmm. of our spouses mm-hmm. and, you know, we're looking to expand it and maybe do something, maybe have a different couple different kinds of support groups. Right. Yeah. Five is actually a good number for people to really connect with each other. So we'll keep expanding it. You know, we're, we're learning because I'm never, ever want to waste somebody's time. I never want it to be like in school when we had busy work, homework, mm-hmm. you know, that they send home because we had to have homework. It's all <laughs> right, got to be right. meaningful. So mm-hmm. we really do strive to have a meaningful caregiver support group. And, you know, I have, I have a lot of phone calls with spouses and caregivers and significant others of my clients throughout the week. I'm not just doing therapy. We're here for the long haul. Oh, so important. Okay. Misconception number two, you cannot target functional goals via telepractice. I'm not saying this. These are just misconceptions. I don't, I'm not saying I agree with this, but you're just going to talk about them if you will, please. Those prepositions. (laughs) So I did home health for a really long time and I love, love, loved going into people's homes and seeing how they live and seeing what are their communication needs. Just because I'm not physically there doesn't mean I can't get a tour of the house. Doesn't mean we can't set the iPad or the laptop up in the kitchen and start pulling ingredients out of the pantry. You have to think outside, you know, some of our traditional therapy ways. I mean, I really learned that doing home health. Well, and you, if you compare a tour of the house on the iPad and going over to the pantry and creating some functional goals that way, if you compare that to what is available in outpatient, you know, it could actually be more effective. Yeah. The hardest setting for me to work with clients was in the outpatient setting because it was just, it was so removed Mm -hmm. from what I really enjoyed doing. 
So I absolutely think we can make it functional. And if we get buy-in from the family or the spouse where we could set, you know, make a plan at the end of one session to set up for the next one, it's awesome. Right. Right. Or we can tweak little things, you know, like, hey, next time your husband comes on, can you have him facing the window and not be backlit? I can right. see his face and his mouth a lot better if there's light in front of him. And, and they're more than happy to accommodate. Well, and the teletherapy format also allows the family members, caregivers, spouses to see some of the, of the success in therapy and that the success is really what gives us buy-in. You are absolutely right. I And I also think being a, over the computer sometimes instead of in person is mm-hmm. less can be con- less confrontational or you know you can set the spouse off to the side a little bit facing a different yeah. way so you're not all ganging up on some you know I would never right, want right. to do that no of course we never want to but sometimes when someone is trying so hard to communicate, to follow the directions, to work in the therapy. And when they are not successful, sometimes they, or at least initially, they they do feel like they're being confronted. Yes. So I I do my best training over telepractice with caregivers. I can really, not that I couldn't do it before, but it's different. It just, it takes a a level of removal, you know, when you're Mm -hmm. not physically in their space. And Mm -hmm. I can do a lot more coaching. I, I think it's it's very powerful. We do a lot of reflecting. We want to reflect as if you're the mirror, your client says something to you, you say it back to them exactly how they heard. And it's very easy if the client is looking at me, but yet interacting with the spouse that might be just off camera or maybe off at an angle, okay. then that spouse can practice it. And I can coach her, but I'm not making direct eye contact with her. I'm contacting with my client, but I'm coaching her at the same time. So it can be a nice triangular Mm -hmm. kind of Mm -hmm. therapeutic effect. And it's just making the most of your opportunities. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's see. We talked about this a little bit. Misconception number three, you cannot build rapport via telepractice platforms. (laughs) I think you can build rapport sitting in the backseat of a car, (laughs) you know, uh, it doesn't matter. You as a, I think part of it is the clinician needs to know themselves, himself, herself. You need to know who you are and you need to have a bit of a personality. You got to have stories. I tell more stories now after all these years doing therapy. Most of the stories make fun of me or one of my pets or some funny thing, but it's an icebreaker. You always, Mm. sometimes you have to give of yourself to help build that rapport because some of our clients, they're just, they're closed off. They're protective. They don't want to share of themselves. Well, they've been through so much. My favorite are the grumpy old men. (laughs) I always think of that, that old, uh, the, the movie with, Jack Lemon and Walter Matthau, Grumpy I Old Men. I think it was called Grumpy Old Men, I think, well, wasn't maybe. it? Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, anyway, they're my favorite. And just, you do have to build rapport. You can't just jump into therapy. You've got to build a relationship. I've worked with some of these clients for a really long time. I know their families. 
they know all of my pets. <laughs> <laughs> I have been known to bring a, a chicken in the house every now and then as a, you know. Well, and then you did mention, you know, of course, with children, we need to bring humor into it, you know, sometimes change the background, do some silly things. But you have said that that's really effective with adults. It is. So you see, I've got this lovely background here. Mm -hmm. I have been known to pop up some interesting background. Maybe it's related to something they liked. I have this one client who just loves Alaska, lived there at one point. So I had different pictures of Alaska. And the next thing I'm going to do, and I just haven't had the time to do it, I'm going to find some grizzly bear that's like going to oh. eat me <laughs> and project it on my green screen behind me. And, you know, sometimes it's fun to put the unexpected in there. Oh. I have one client always notices when my background is different. Normally, prior to a couple of months ago, you'd see my nice office behind me. And it was nice. You know, nothing wrong with it. But even though nothing moved, it still was distracting visually. So I've gone to just kind of changing up the colors behind me. And I've got a big green screen. I, I might be jumping ahead, but I've got this big green screen behind me. No, it's okay to jump, jump ahead. You have included that in the resources, which your resources are great. Because you can see, for those of you watching on speechtherapypd.com, you can see my background is blurred tonight and Genevieve helped me with that. But that the, the plain solid background is probably best for therapy. So Genevieve provided some resources for us for those through some online platforms that that sell us things. <laughs> right. Okay. I do enjoy it for, you know, even for the adults. There's no reason we can't have some fun mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. and do the unexpected. Again, I think that goes a long way with building rapport. Right. Well, and another thing with so many of our clients with aphasia and a apraxia who, you know, have had a stroke or traumatic brain injury, a lot of their fun has been taken out of their lives. So the more we can add little bits of fun, the better they're going to like therapy and work at therapy. So, so fun can be therapeutic, right? Absolutely. And I'll just give one more example. I have Apple music on my computer and I have one of my guys loves rock and roll. He used to be a musician and so if he's starting to get all tense, you know, you see his shoulders coming up and you just, he's feeling a little frustrated. I pull out a song. We have a song that I play and I'll just play. I keep a snippet on my desktop oh, and funny. I will just play the chorus. He starts singing along. You see, you know, like the, like the pressure cooker, all the steam right. is released. And, you know, there's no reason we can't do that no matter what age of client. Mm -hmm. we work mm -hmm. with. Or uh, I had a student a year ago. She was very much into gifts, you know, the little animated things. I never really did much with them, but she did them with my clients and my clients loved them. So why not? If oh, you have funny. some appropriate ones, pre-screen, mm -hmm. I will always say never, pardon me, never play a YouTube video unless you've watched the whole thing. Right, never right, play right. anything unless you've watched the whole thing. Preview all your gifts. Well, and you know, now that you've mentioned that, I was really impressed with the number of students that you have mentored through the years and that Bill, ha Bill did as well. So can you talk a little bit about that? Because you almost always have a student, right? We have over the last couple of years. When Bill passed, we had three. <laughs> wow, wow. And we still, and that was nearly in the middle of their 
their practicum. And I love working with the students. I think it's amazing, an amazing experience to be able to pass on the knowledge and breadth of experience that Bill had and my own too. I, you know, I contribute the whole functional thing. Absolutely. Bill used to tease me about, you know, well, Genevieve would say this is functional therapy, you know, and I'm like, (laughs) well, yeah, that's what I do. I've always done it. So, you know, it's been nice working with Bill with the students and then having students of my own since he's gone and, you know, there's not a week that doesn't go by that I don't have Bill sitting on my shoulder saying, tell him this, tell him that, don't forget. I always think about Bill. He was an amazing mentor. Well, and you were so nice to include your contact information in the resources as well. So if you are a student out there listening, or if you know of a student who would like to improve and and experience teletherapy from a master, contact Genevieve. (laughs) Can I get that tattooed? (laughs) Just kidding. Misconception number four, and we are going to have some questions and answers. So we just have a few minutes, but I think it's important to talk about it. You always need a facilitator to make telepractice successful. And by facilitator, we mean someone in the room with the client helping to facilitate the session. Always nice to have a facilitator, but not always practical. We have uh, several gentlemen on our caseload that didn't have anybody. And so through the use of emailing and phone calls, you know, where maybe the son could log in and try and help their dad. And we again, we've never failed to get somebody on telepractice. Maybe we have to work a little longer and more creatively on our goals. You know, Mm -hmm. because it is a goal. It's still learning. It's still, you know, a skill that they're learning. And we get to talk about it and experience it together. And, you know, it's always nice to have a facilitator. Part of my practice and when we kind of went to our EMR that we use, I put together a telepractice guide and troubleshooting. So it's got screenshots. It's got arrows. it, It tells you what you need to do. They get that before they even get on line for a consult. They they okay. check their bandwidth. They make sure their operating system is up to date. They know where they're going to sit in the house. Again, it's a communicating and setting expectations, not in a mean way, just right, right. this is what we're going to do and this is how we're going to do it. Well, and setting them up for success, because if you can have success in those first few sessions, you really get that buy-in. But if the first session is spent dealing with technology, it's not going to (laughs) create excitement. I mean, not to say that I haven't tabled them writing on the whiteboard. You know, it has happened. Like they just, they didn't carry over from the previous day, all the steps you have to take. Zoom, if you're listening, I've got a list of features I want to, I want (laughs) to streamline, you know, so we might have to table it and we just, we're just straight up with them. Hey, this, you're getting frustrated. Let's just shift gears. You know, we'll might do something to decompress for a moment and then we'll work on something else. And then we try the next day. So it's nice to have that facilitator there, but not always. We can, we can make it happen. Just be creative and have your own mental flexibility. We cannot be rigid in telepractice. Absolutely. Okay. Misconception number five, all telepractice SLPs have the same knowledge and skills. Well, (laughs) 
I don't think so. Again, these are not my misconceptions, but I think these are things that we've heard. So I think it's good to address them. So some people are terrified of technology, terrified. And now they have to use it every day to make a living and treat their clients. Mm -hmm. So part of it is you got to get over your own fear. If you don't have the skills, get the skills. There's tons of YouTube videos out there, not even by a speech pathologist, but you know, just you can't be afraid of it. If you're afraid of it, you're not going to learn it. You're not going to embrace it. Now is the time. Now that the the biggest crisis of the pandemic and therapy, the pandemic is its right. own thing, but when everybody had to jump in, everybody was scrambling. Now is the time. If you're going to keep doing telepractice, if you've got a staff, get some training for your staff. Make sure everybody has has the same skills. If you need a list of skills, you know, get on our Facebook group and do a shout out. Ask people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Make sure you got your policies and procedures. Get everybody up to speed. Right. And we can, I, I feel like so many different, at the time the pandemic started, I was working at a private practice and so many different people discovered so many different avenues and apps and, you know, different things online. So taking the time to share them was so important. I know one of our listeners, Megan Whalen, uh, was really good about figuring out the technology and sharing with other people. So and each platform has its own limitations. Some therapists were working in a school district where they only had a choice of one platform. So they really had to scramble and figure right. out how am I going to get these these kids' needs met with this limiting factor. So it's a challenge for sure. It is a challenge. And we have so many other expectations. It's easy to kind of continue with what works or, or not easy, but you know, now that we found things that work, it's good to continue with them, but it's always good to continue to expand our options and see what's out yeah, there. Keep working. I, I watched a presentation. I want to say it was on MedBridge, one of the, sorry, yeah. competitor, <laughs> but it was a presentation. <laughs> it was a presentation put out by two nurses. Mm -hmm. I want to say, I think those were their primary backgrounds. They may have had other credentialing past it, but they were taking it from the perspective of they're a doctor doing telepractice with their client. And they were showing the good way to, well, first they started with a bad way to do it. And then they showed the good way to do it. And I've always just thought of it as a clinician, you know, me, the speech pathologist, doing telepractice with my clients. Right. I've not had to do any telemedicine visits with physicians mm -hmm. or a psychologist or something. But we also need to advocate. If I were to get on with my primary care physician and he's looking off somewhere else and his background's super distracting, I'm going to say, hey, doc, can I just give you a little feedback about how you're doing telepractice? Like you need to sit with a window in front of you, these kinds of things. Right. We need to advocate. If we're doing telepractice and we're interacting with other professionals that may not have some of the knowledge or skills like the lighting. Like, like you did, you blurred your background, which made a big difference. Mm -hmm. You know, just little things. We can help keep promoting telepractice and good quality service by all professionals. Right, right. Well, one of the things that I like that you mentioned was creating a little cheat sheet or letter for your clients who are having 
teletherapy visits with other providers so they could blame it on the speech therapist. Well, you know, my speech therapist told me that this is what I need for my session. (laughs) All right. Well, let's see. And in our conversations preparing for today, we talked about a couple of other things. So we've probably are all heard these things by now, but it's always good to have some reminders. So we talked a little bit about your environment of your sessions. So Anything you want to add to that? I'm going with the environment. Like I like the green screen. You don't always have to do it. But if you're on something like Zoom and you can blur your background, it does make a difference. Keep your door shut to the room you're working in. Mm-hmm. I was guilty letting my blind cat come in. It's a conversation piece every now and then, but it can be distracting. And there would be times I get caught up in the moment and interacting, building rapport with my client. And then they would get distracted and off the topic of the treatment that we're trying to do to be effective. So I put a big rubber band. I've got two doors that close together and I rubber band them. So (laughs) my big dog can't push them open and it's just me in the office. You know, so you got to think about your environment and how your clients could be perceiving it. And Mm -hmm. also I ask my clients. I was using a black backdrop before I came all day today. It was black. And my one guy just like, ugly. And I'm like, Oh, I'm ugly. <laughs> He's like, no. that. <laughs> and so I started showing him the colors and he picked the color he wanted. What color did he want? Blue. The lighter one, more turquoise than this. Oh yeah. I like that. All right. Well, we are getting close on time. So I just want to remind our listeners that you can put any questions in the chat if they have any questions for you. But let's talk about a couple other little things like dress code. It's been great, you know, during the pandemic to wear our cozy pajamas on the bottom, but on the top, just give us a few reminders about dress code. If you wouldn't wear it in a clinic sitting across from somebody else, you don't wear it on camera. Wear your yoga pants or your shorts, it doesn't matter. But if you've got to get up, you've got to be conscientious. You don't need to be, you know, (laughs) showing off anything you wouldn't show in the clinic. So, you know, I think we get caught up. We get comfortable being in our own houses. You know, Mm -hmm. if you wouldn't wear spaghetti strap tank top to work, you don't do it on camera either. Know how to mute, know how to hit mute, whether it's a shortcut or hitting the button, whatever you need to do stopping your video. If something happens, you know, my, my, I have a big dog. If I see the mailman coming, I hit mute. Good advice. Good advice. And the lighting again, we've probably heard this before, but super important. So you could probably see from my, I've got two circle lights up here. I got a bigger one there. I got a smaller one there. You got to play with your lighting. You want to make sure your face is well lit. My lighting's a little different because it's dark outside. Now Mm -hmm. it's different when there's still, I have some natural light still coming in from the side. But just make sure your face is showing, your mouth is showing, and that you can see your client well too. Yes, yes. So important. Coaching. Coaching. Uh, Just like, like we were talking about. If you are the client and I've nagged you about having good light, But the doctor you're talking to online is sitting in the dark or you can't see his mouth or he's mumbling. You've got to be able to advocate or your your significant other, your significant other or your grandchild. 
your sister in California, whoever it is. I tell um, you, mom and dad, I'm sorry if I know you're going to see this video. They are horrible at FaceTime. They'll hold oh, no. their phone up and they can't even like, they're looking and I'm like, I'm over here. <laughs> I'm like, uh, I contact people, you know, this is... <laughs> Right. And I, and again, so if you coach your clients, you can always give them the out. Well, my speech therapist told me that I have to do it this way. Yeah. And uh, the last thing I'll say, video. Right now, I explained I'm on a big iMac. I've got your video right under my camera. So I'm not looking at the camera to look at you. I'm looking at you. So I feel right. like I'm making eye contact with you, but yet I could still have stuff over here that I'm working with. So do think about that. It's a very different experience if you're looking at your client video over here and you're coming over here to look at the whiteboard. Same right. thing for them. You need to coach them how to get your picture under the camera so that you're both making eye contact together. Okay. And again, that carry, carries over to when they're having their Zoom conversations with other people. So here's a question. Can you tell us, just uh, of course, being HIPAA compliant, we always have to remind people of that. One of your favorite success stories in telepractice, and it doesn't have to be since the pandemic, it can be before the pandemic, but... Whoa, that... I wasn't prepared for that. Okay. <laughs> um, well, it is live, right? I know, right? I know. Think it on my feet. And it's late. Wait. Yes, yes, yes. Favorite success story. A long time ago, Bill and I worked with a college student. And through our therapy, we were able to empower her and get her skills good enough that she was able to go back to junior college and successfully complete some classes. Not perfect, Mm -hmm. but success. And she felt amazing about it. She felt like she had control for the first time since her accident. I think when we first started working with her, she might've been four or five years post. And I don't remember the accident, but I know that we were successful getting her back. How long do you usually see your clients for? I guess that we actually mentioned that you have some who you have seen for years. So the, the average is probably not that important. It's probably more of a story to talk about the fact that you have seen some of your clients. For. We've seen some of our clients for years, which is exciting. It challenges me as a therapist to always keep looking for the next thing to work on. And it's all functional. Everything we work on is based on that client's goals. If there's new research that comes out with a new angle of getting at whatever our goal is, we do it and we jump in with both feet. So so I think that's where, again, our niche is we don't believe in a plateau because we can't. Our clients are expecting us to keep pushing them. So we have to push ourselves to really keep on what's out there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, and their lives are changing too. What was a goal three years ago might not be a goal now, even if they have not reached that goal because their life has changed. So what is the new goal? And sometimes we come back around to goals that we had early on, whether we met them or didn't meet them, we went in a different direction and then we can come back around to it. And that's always mm-hmm. fun too. And, and compare and say, 
you couldn't do this before. And now look what you can do. You've also mentioned that, of course, you're, if someone is not continuing to succeed and reaching their goals, then you're not going to continue the therapy. Absolutely. This is a communication. This is a team project. We all work together and we've had that, you know, somebody's taken a break for a while. They've come back. Some have not come back. They've gone in a different direction, you know, and then there's some that want to keep going. So here's a question, not a hard one. (laughs) Can you think of the longest that you've seen a client? Like how many years is the longest that you've? Nearly seven years. Nearly seven. Oh, that is awesome. Wow. Wow. What a testament to the therapy and to you. You know, give or take a couple months, but yeah. These folks, they're motivated. They want to keep that getting is wonderful. better. So anyone out there who's working with someone who is, you know, so many months post and feels like they've reached a plateau, you know, think of this conversation, think of Genevieve, think of the work that you've done and think of the potential working with someone for that long and that person continuing to make progress for seven years. That's really inspirational for therapists, but for you know, clients and patients as well. We have to be creative, not only in the treatment, how we write goals. I mean, everything, but it comes down to a team approach. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I know you mentioned some of the resources that we talked about throughout, but are there any ones that you want to want to mention? Yeah, sure. I'm Um, looking at these right now. Under resources, I have the things like ergonomics, desk stretches, eye stretches, the blue blocker stuff. I've got a PDF in there that compares and contrasts platforms. But also on the ASHA website, they've really come up with some nice telepractice documents. One of them is ASHA is tracking all 50 states and where they stand with telepractice and where they stand with like supervising grad students or clinical fellows, those kinds of things. So ASHA seems to be really staying on top of that. So there's a link in the resources there. And there's also a link to the interstate compact. It's called the ASLP-IC legislation toolkit. And it's a whole other website dedicated to this interstate compact. And they've got some nice information on there. One other thing, oh, Center for Connected Health Policy is a company that's following all telepractice, not just for therapists, but for psychologists, psychiatrists, medical doctors. They're just following the law in general of how it's landing. Okay. Or is it being reimbursed by Medicare? Or what are they talking about for the new physician fee schedule? You know, where is the legislature standing on it? Congress, you know, is Congress Mm -hmm. pushing this forward? Is Congress pushing back? It's just a nice, I sign up for their newsletter. They send something out about every week. It's a relatively easy read, but it's kind of nice to get a whole sense of what is happening in telepractice in general. Mm Mm-hmm. The compact that was discussed, now that is just for speech-language pathologists, right? Are yeah. There other- uh, if there are others, I it's not that I don't know it. I just, I haven't come across mm-hmm. it in all the newsletters I subscribe okay. to and websites I follow. I just know that it's happening for speech, which mm-hmm. is awesome. That is awesome. Okay. Well, Genevieve, 
Thank you so much for sharing your wealth of knowledge. And thank you for taking this opportunity for a dedication to Bill as well, because his contributions were so important to our field, as are yours. So I am just so grateful that we've had this time. And I would love for you to come back and talk specifically about your aphasia and apraxia treatments through teletherapy. So we'll get that on your calendar. Oh, boy. And uh, if questions, comments, I'm open to getting on the phone or texting or emailing with other therapists. So, you know, if I can be of help, let me know. Thank you. And now the resources and handout is available through speechtherapypd.com, but there are some people who will be listening for, on other platforms. So can you share your contact information for the other platforms? If someone were listening, could some, how could someone get in touch with you? I can be reached at Genevieve at everythingslp.com or through Telepractice for SLP's Facebook page. And mm-hmm. our website is everythingslp.com. Wonderful. Thank you. I'm so grateful. Thanks for joining us here at Keys for SLPs, providing keys to open new doors to better serve our clients throughout the lifespan. Remember to go to speechtherapypd.com to learn more about earning ASHA CEUs for this episode and all podcasts offered by speechtherapypd.com. Until next time, I'm your host, Mary Beth Hines. Keep up the good work.